Welcome back to the second episode of The Scoop College Basketball Podcast presented by Hoop Scoop Media. And you know, what a weekend it was in college basketball. 11 ranked teams lost on Saturday, a few more lost today. Dan, which games were you really watching this weekend? Austin, it starts with Kentucky. We talked a fair bit about Kentucky in episode one and Kentucky and Tennessee. Was this the start of the Wildcats return to respect, not only prominence, but just respect? I, I think it could have been. It was a prime example of what I was saying, which was there was time. There were SEC opportunities for Kentucky to not just bounce back, but kind of rebuild the, the entire trajectory of the season. So that was the game I was most focused on there uh, earlier in the day on Saturday. Yeah, just great games overall. I think like at one point in the 11 o'clock games, like when there was like closer to the end, they were like all tied or like one point or two points. And those are just all a great slate of games and some pretty solid games today, too. So we'll have a lot to talk about in this podcast. But before we get into the game action, we have some recruiting news to touch up on. So 2023 four-star forward Eric Daly Jr. has committed to Oklahoma State. Good pickup for Mike Boyan. Daly was originally in the 2022 class, and he chose Oklahoma State over like Kansas and Kentucky and a good list of schools, so definitely a good pickup there. Um, Italian prospect Nicolo Moretti has committed to Illinois. He was at the NBA Global Academy in Australia. He is the brother of Davide Moretti, the uh, former Texas Tech Red Raider, and he's actually enrolling at Illinois now, so I doubt he'll play this year, but it'll be good that he gets some experience under him. And, you know, if he's anything like his brother, I think Illinois will be, be just fine. Davide was a great shooter, a very good player to have on offense, and just, yeah, if hopefully he's like plays similar to his brother because that will be a good pickup for Illinois. And today, five-star Ace Bailey committed to Rutgers. That is the highest pickup ever for Rutgers. Steve Peichel is really getting worked in the recruiting trail. And that program, they're on fire right now, but they're also on fire on the recruiting trail. So really a pro- program to look out for. And I think they're just going to keep getting better. Everything is going well. 6'9 power forward. And we have some injuries to touch up on. Um, Pitt, John Hughley IV. He is out for the year. Is kind of dealing with some mental health and also dealing with some physical injuries as well. He is a good player. He he played a little bit this year, but didn't really have that much of an impact. He was their best player last year. But really, I don't think this effect affects Pitt that much this season. Like, their ceiling might be a little limited with him not on the floor, but they've been playing great without him. So what do you think about this situation, Dan? Yeah, they had started to get accustomed to life without him a little bit. And so it goes back to a point I made in episode one where you get that clarity. Of course, you don't, you're not rooting to be down a player for next extended length of time. But at the same time, when you look at the way Pitt is positioned in the ACC right now, there is just time to stay in the upper half of the conference. We talk about the Big Ten off-air being kind of up for grabs. And when you see Clemson in first place in the ACC, I think you get the similar vibes with the ACC of it being uh, not totally wide open. It's not going to be an easy thing to take. And certainly uh, Pitt will feel the loss. But at the same time, I think the Panthers are, are going are gonna to have time to adjust before February where every conference game is going to decide that last, that last bit of conference seating. So... Uh, I, I'd be optimistic, too, if I were in the uh, the Pitt Zoo there. Yeah, Pitt has improved so much this season without his services or most of the part, and he will be seeking a redshirt. So the games this year that he played basically didn't count against his eligibility, assuming that gets passed. And then tonight, Alabama's Darius Miles was charged with capital murder, and this was a really shocking story to see. I actually had on my notes I was going to talk about him because the other day he – suffered a season-ending injury, or he hasn't been playing for a while, but it was officially confirmed that he'd be out for a season due to an injury. But apparently he was charged with capital murder today, which is crazy. So what are your thoughts on that, Dan? Well, th- this is the second straight episode. We've had a serious off-the-court you know, matter to tackle, and there are implications of this that go obviously well beyond basketball. And one, one I look forward to seeing everything play out, you know, ju- justice system-wise. But goodness, I mean, this... This big a story, this serious 
an issue has a chance to really shake Alabama as a campus, and as a locker room. You know, when you look at Alabama, the men's basketball program, that's an Alabama team that has a lot of eyes on it in the SEC and nationally, one of those top four programs. I know we're going to debate uh, where we see the Crimson Tide fitting in as possibly being the tops in the, in the nation. And so those are bright lights to begin with. And then you have this scrutiny and this, and I, the controversy is not the right word, but it's just uh, certainly there are ramifications of this that are larger than basketball. But when you look at the basketball sense, it's a distraction, right? Like it, this is a something that is certainly a destabilizing force. And Alabama has been one of the most impressive teams I've watched this season. So although you look at uh, Miles particular, uh, aside from the uh, criminal justice aspect, but just the, the basketball sense, he was a reserve uh, player for the tie. So it's not necessarily uh, a rotation shattering situation, uh, but and again, that's just looking at it in a vacuum and, and, and the sports ramifications. Uh, but it, this is a situation where Alabama is going to have to. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I, I, I've, going back to practice has to be hard, right? I mean, I don't know how much you know was known or or, or what was out there within the team and things like that. I mean, it's hard to speculate. Even like this is a, this we just learned this about an hour ago or roughly. So it's it's hard to even get an idea of how uh, this will affect Bama players and, and the staff there. But I do think that. It's certainly unprecedented is a word that's been used repeatedly in the past couple of years. And this is unprecedented for different reasons. Uh, the, thankfully, it's unprecedented, my goodness. But um, yeah, this is certainly disappointing to, to see uh, transpiring. And for for Bama, it, it might take a bit. They might need to take a couple of days off here. Like, I, 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 I'm not making the decisions there, obviously, but. Uh, th- maybe maybe it'd be better to go back to basketball sooner and just kind of have something to focus and lean on and come together with, over because um, just to have uh, somebody who was in your in your team and firmly in your locker room and, and a part of the, bro- the you know a brotherhood of a team all of a sudden have this this extreme real life situation and completely be I mean you you mentioned in our notes pre show completely scrubbed now from Alabama's website and everything no no sign of him whatsoever in terms of being listed as part of the Crimson Tide so it. it there, it's hard to find answers right now when it's hard to even focus on basketball, right? So I, I'm very curious to see how Alabama looks in the next several days and in their next games because this is – I don't even know how to – like. This, I'm probably stumped for the first time in our two episodes. I'm pretty stumped with this one um, because it's just – it's hard to even keep it into a basketball at that point. Yeah, it's just a crazy situation. Obviously, he was out for the year. Even when he did play this year, he didn't really bring much of an impact – but you have to think like this could be something that could really shake up the locker room. We'll just see how this plays out. And also just prayers up to the victim's family, everyone involved in this situation. Hopefully everything gets figured out to how it should be. So, yeah, that's all we'll talk about just for now. If any more details get released, we might touch on that in further episodes. But we do have some transfer news today. And that is Villanova transfer Angelo Brizzy is committing to Davidson with a coach... McKillop, blanking on his first name, but he's Bob McKillop's son. Maybe Matt. I'm not 100% on that. But it's. I think it's a good pickup for Davidson because, well, first of all, I think he kind of fits a Davidson mold. Like, I honestly could see him going to Davidson, like, when he entered the portal. Davidson, I believe, was in his top eight out of high school. And, I mean, you point to one thing, that he didn't really see much time at Villanova. But I think... What I'm looking at in this situation is how good Foster Lawyer is at Davidson. He did not play that much at Michigan State. When he did play, I didn't really think he was a good player. And he's been balling out at Davidson the past few years. So I really like what Brizzy could bring to this program. What are your thoughts on the pickup, Dan? Well, it's a big one because this was a name, Angela Brizzy from Villanova, that was being floated. Basically, every East Coast uh, prominent to above average mid-major uh, in the in the area was talking about this name having an in-season entry that was a big deal very trendy very highly sought after and so for Davidson to pick up the commitment it's a big one uh we you mentioned the a10 we I touched on the a10 briefly how down it is and Davidson with coach McKillop you touched on has such a proud history I can see any player being drawn to that and and so it continues um with Davidson picking up a commitment where there were a ton of options on the table uh for Angela coming out of Nova so th- this does this does add to the depth. It adds to a situation where, where you don't necessarily expect uh, him to play at any time of a, of, a, of a near 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 term, excuse me, timeline. But it's it's it, all the while it's a win for Davidson, uh, no matter how you slice it. And uh, I mean, this is a guy who did play in games this season as well. So it's not a situation where uh, the transfer was a matter of never never saw the floor at Villanova or anything like that. Like if you're just getting familiar with this name, 
Uh, it's somebody who who can play in the Big East, and so that's a big get for anybody in the A10. Yeah, I was honestly expecting more from Brizzy at Villanova. I just thought he'd be that next white guard that just dominates the conference, but that didn't work out. But we'll see if he can be the next white guard that does that at Davidson because they've had some real success with that. No, part so, of the brand, I think, just to add a little bit more, part of Davidson's brand is shooting, right? Like, obviously, it, Steph Curry is the biggest one, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like, it, I, I should have, I'm kicking myself a little bit. I probably should have gone ahead and predicted or done a little mini Christy ball, crystal ball on this one because it, it does add up, right? Like, I think Davidson is a great spot for any any scoring guard. So I just want to throw that in there. It, it makes a ton of sense in the world. So I would expect his game to really tick up a notch a bit where he's all the more comfortable outside the Big East and at Davidson. Yeah, I agree. If you asked me where he was going about a week ago, my best guess would probably have been Davidson. But now moving on to the actual in-game content of the show. And the biggest headline in-game this weekend has to be Kentucky winning at Tennessee. Kentucky is a team that's really been struggling lately. They lost to South Carolina, who's ranked 235th in Ken Palm at home earlier this week. That was right before we uh, podcasted for the first time. So we touched on that a lot in that episode. But then Kentucky just completely flipped the script and turns the week into not a complete disaster because they went at Tennessee, who has the best defense in the country per Ken Palm and is ranked second in the country per Ken Palm. They were ranked in the top 10 of the AP poll as well. But this is just huge. I don't think like Kentucky is saved now per se, but this just like there's some optimism now. And I feel like. Even if they would have lost this game close, there wouldn't have been as much optimism because they didn't get that win. They just needed that win to break through. I think they're back in a tournament conversation now. Dan, what do you think? I'm glad to hear you say that because I was going to say that if you did if you did not say that, because first episode, I'll allude to it one more time. I went out of my way to say I'm not I'm not shoveling dirt on the NCAA tournament just yet for Kentucky. And this is exactly when I saw the final score, when I saw the final horn go, I said, this is exactly the kind of reason why. I mean, for, te- for Kentucky to play the defense, it did. Now, of course, you got to look at a combination of factors. Tennessee, I mean, Kentucky's defense, yes, but also when you see Tennessee finish with three of 21 shooting from three-point range, that's very atypical for the Vols. It's hard to see them doing that again. But I, at some point, to some extent, you got to credit Big Blue's defense for that and to holding Tennessee below 60 uh, in that situation. Kentucky, that's the kind of game it's going to have to be able to win and grinding it out, right? Like, I mean, Shwebe had 15 points. He only had a, he had a pair of teammates with double figures as well. So it it was a good scoring day, but they still cats only ended with 63, which isn't necessarily what we expect from a necessarily a power five powerhouse or, or traditional power. But that's the kind of style of play that actually can win games for for Kentucky in the SEC. This is a great blueprint. Uh, the fact that it came in such a way where Coach Cal post game was able to say, oh, yeah, I took all the guys electronics and phones away. We want to be locked in like that. <laughs> that's just some positive light. That's It's good. Kentucky to be trending in a positive for positive reasons is such a 180 because before it was all this noise about Kentucky fans being so frustrated with Cal that they're rooting for him to go to Texas and they can't wait for him to be gone. And their minds are just completely elsewhere. Now, Kentucky is trending for all the right reasons, right? Like it's just this wholesome. Oh, Coach Kyle Perry, he he really he really got inventive with his guys. I said, nope, we're going to lock in and we're going to follow through against a ranked opponent. And so I, I, I come away really impressed, of course, with this Kentucky team, the, what the history says, they could regress, not regress, but just they, they could just be a flash in the pan, right? Like there's a chance this just isn't something that's sustained. But no, they, this is this is absolutely a ship riding game. Yeah, it was a huge win. And the thing is, can, or Tennessee jumped out to an early eight nothing lead. At that point, I thought the game might be close to over when I turned it on, but Kentucky really fought back. The thing that most impressed me about them was their fight. Like, they did not give up. They were staying tough the whole game, and I think that's something they've really been lacking this season because, like, in the game specifically, I know Tennessee does have number one defense in the country, but nobody on Kentucky really stood out to me, like, from their stats. Like, Shibuya had a solid game, but that's what he does every night. He does better than that, usually, honestly, on most nights. Antonio Reeves had a good scoring night, but most of his points were from the line. Or, not most, but he had a, he got a lot of help from the free throw line, where he was huge. He was 8 for 8, which really helped him. But, like, nobody on... CJ Frederick did it some threes, but no one really stood out from a huge, like... They just took over the game. I think Kentucky just needs to play like that from now on. They just need to be fully invested 
And I think if they continue to play like that, they will be a tournament team. But I'm going to need to see more than one game before I declare that their season is suddenly fixed. What do you think about that? I think that's very fair. And, and your observations about the effort are, are are astute, right? Like that's something that goes beyond the box score. Just looking at the fight and heart of a team, especially when we're when the public or we're out here questioning uh, the fan base's loyalty to the head coach. Like what's more important is does the locker room have have his attention, right? Like does or does he does he have the locker room's attention? I mean to say. And so that that's apparent when you win a game that's hard fought and that you took a nice lead in the halftime and you're not expected to win. And so there are a lot of chances to lose focus and start to get uh, overexcited or for any number of reasons that that wasn't the case with Kentucky. I mean, they, they closed the game. That was a game that can tend to be season altering. Yeah. Earlier in the season, Kentucky got killed by Gonzaga who they've have been having some issues of their own over the past few weeks, which I'd like to touch on in the past week or two. They've had, been trailing the whole game on the road versus San Francisco, Santa Clara, and BYU. They ended up winning all those games in close fashion. But even though they've won, you still have to have some concern for them because, like, those teams are solid. But if Gonzaga is like a four, five seed in the tournament, those are the quality of teams that play opening night, and they they can't lose one of those games because. This is this this just isn't the same Gonzaga team we've seen in the past few years. Timmy has been great, but they just haven't been the same overall. What do you think about this Gonzaga team? Yeah, I love to go back to past years for Gonzaga and say there's there's a blueprint for all of these all of these like different ebbs and flows throughout the season, right? So like I feel like two or three times a year, maybe sometimes it's only once a year in conference of St. Mary's. There's a West Coast conference game that makes everybody really glue their eyes on Gonzaga and, and look for a moment where they fall apart in the regular season. It doesn't necessarily come. And then you get to March and Gonzaga hits a certain ceiling in March. But like, I, I wonder if maybe this season is just coming in a spurt of games. Now, that's not something that's, that's something not something to necessarily just chalk away either right like I, I it's worth paying attention to uh Gonzaga gets credit for finishing close games in the same way I credited Kentucky but also the expectations are higher in the first place for Gonzaga with these matchups so you don't necessarily want or expect to see I should say the Zags in those spots in the first place uh but they still rank top 10 in Ken Palm uh, here through this Sunday night so they they weathered it in that way uh the numbers like them uh I I I like them in the sense that they haven't the weight of the world, the weight of the world is on their shoulders each game in the West Coast Conference. Like there's no doubt about it. When I think to even back to the offseason and all the talk of the Big East and the Big 12, right? And all the realignment discussion surrounding Gonzaga. I think honestly, I mean, that entices me as a realignment nerd, but in the in the greater sense, getting onto on the court. It, it fascinates me because I, I wonder about that only increases the pressure that Gonzaga feels every every like, every game in the West Coast Conference. They're, they're going to be expected, even against St. Mary's. It's just a matter of the name Gonzaga, right? Like people are just going to uh, look at the Zags as being favored there uh, if you're the casual follower. So Gonzaga, you touched on Timmy. Timmy, we're going to talk about every time we talk about Gonzaga in a segment. Uh, I, I trust I'm honestly going to keep trusting Gonzaga. I'm going to I'm not too worried about this recent spurt. I think actually, as the season goes on, we're going to learn to respect some of these opponents a little more. And then in hindsight, these closer games are going to be ones that actually we uh, credit the Bulldogs more than not. Yeah, when it comes down to it, I still think Gonzaga is a very good team. Like they'd be around top 10, top 15 if I were to make rankings. But I feel like this is so different from teams of the past. Like the teams in the past have been like top one teams, debatably. This team is not the same. And, you know, Dan, how funny would it be if this Gonzaga team wins a championship after this is clearly the worst team in, like, the past five, six years? Right. I mean, honestly, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that Gonzaga isn't a consensus AP number one or number two. And there's kind of, by their standards, flying a bit under the radar. And then you see them in March. They're not a top seed in a quadrant. And instead, they're just, you know, like we said, as a four or five, and they find a way to the Elite Eight. And then all of a sudden, maybe maybe they do get to uh, the last weekend. But right, I mean, it is a little bit, un- it's not the same team. You're exactly right. You're IDing it correctly. Not the same uh, all-American composition to the roster. And so uh, it's still an all-conference. It's definitely... Uh, a top 10. I think it's top 10. I would, I think it's beyond top 15. I do think it's top 10, but 
your act those kind of accolades get a little bit more measured when you see the envelope getting pushed at BYU, for instance, right? Like I mean, everybody saw that and said it's just one one false move in a conference game, right, on the road, and and we can and all the the plug gets pulled on this praise. Yeah, and like those teams, like BYU, like it's not the same BYU team with like uh the past the past years that it's been so like these are legitimate like 12 13 seed caliber teams like san francisco is not near as good as they were last year santa clara is good but like i don't know i'd be scared for gonzaga in the first round if they get a matchup that is tough for them but i mean the flip side to that is that gonzaga unlike some prior years may be more battle tested they may they may feel a little more tested their metal may be higher because they've been in more high intensity moments in conference play and when it comes down to it, there's three games they were trailing for almost the whole game. Those three games, they all found a way to win. So it's the same thing as blowing the teams out in the records. And really, that's all that matters. Maybe not all that matters, but that matters a lot. Well, winning the game matters a lot. It matters a lot for that for that conference tournament seating, obviously, and then setting yourself up that auto bid. I mean, finding ways to win. We we're gonna slam Kentucky right when they when they can't find a way to win. Although obviously they did most recently. So I'm gonna credit Gonzaga for showing a different side right like it's like we keep saying it's not the same team so maybe they are they're showing a completely different side to themselves yeah they've really delivered and they clutch those games so moving on UConn they lost at home to St. John's today and St. John's is a team I don't love I think they have a decent collection of talent I don't think they're very well coached or that the pieces necessarily fit together the best and is it time to be worried about UConn? They've lost four out of the last five. The other three losses were road games to Xavier, Marquette, and Providence. So nothing too worrisome there. But then after they lose this game by double digits at home versus St. John's, are you worried about UConn? Yes. Yes, I'm worried. Uh, I, I, I double check because I said, okay, these are the results. Like, when you just look at them in a row, they, these are these – are, they knock it backwards and not in a good way, right? So I said, okay, but there's something to be like what's happening here in the stats. And really, the team stats, they all look pretty good. I mean, nothing – they're all solid. Nothing's jumping out to me in terms of being a key weakness in team stats. The overall record is strong, but conference record falls to 4-4 four and four with this with this two-game skid. And the, the margins are what strike out to me here. I mean, double-digit losses before you even get to a real gauntlet in Big Ten play. I mean, I know, obviously, Marquette and Creighton – uh, Creighton was a win, but play, to play Mark Creighton and Marquette, I mean, in consecutive games, that's not an easy task. I just, I just wonder though. I like a loss to Providence. They're right there. In the, that's hard to absorb. Other than taking care of business against Georgetown, Villanova, and Butler, like I take when you take away those gimme or relatively gimme Big East wins, uh, it, it's not looking good for UConn at all. Like I'm, I'm waiting for the next opportunity for the Huskies to have a prove it game. Uh, Xavier kind of stands out to me at home. There later this month, I think that's a game that uh, will be a good barometer. But really, in the more in the more near term, Seton hasn't been a team that's been training for us in the Big East. But that's a game where it's not a long road trip for UConn uh, relatively. And this week, that's going to be the next opportunity to, I keep saying, right the ship. But gosh, I mean, just get they, – they really need to see a win. They really do need to see a win because this has a chance to spiral a little bit. And I don't know where, where you get out of this hole because in the coming games – there's Paul in the mix in Chicago, a road trip. Uh, that should be gettable, you would think. But you're you're questioning all these things because the recent results haven't even been competitive to the point where uh, it inspires a lot of confidence at all. Yeah, they definitely haven't been the best recently. I'm not sure if I'm fully out on them. Like, I still really like the team, how they're made up of, composed. I think I'm still in them as a contender, but I'm a little nervous. Because obviously they've shown the game today was really the thing that uh, made me sway away a little. Did you watch the game at all? I was able to, with all the NFL going on and all the other things going going on here in Delaware, I was able to stat track a little bit. And I never saw Connecticut really take charge in the game. You know, like it, it, it just the makeup, right, that you're talking about. They didn't really back it up in the game today. And it, yeah, it was glaring. Okay, yeah, because I did not watch the game i was focused on marquette and xavier which was a good game xavier pulled away in that one but yeah st john's and is st john's like are you buying at st john's now because i still don't think i am but 
Are yeah, not you... necessarily. Although, if I'm going to be so out on UConn for the time being, I have to give St. John's, I have to give a little the Giants a little bit of love. And uh, so I'm going to be a little more TVD on St. John's is a quick answer. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm really like them yet, but this gives them potential. It's definitely a start. And if they definitely have the talent on this roster, so if they are going to make a tournament run, that was a good win to start it off because at UConn is one of the best wins in the country you can get. So it seems like UConn, with all these losses in a row, has took itself out of the conversation of being the best team in the country. I know for a few weeks or even a month there, UConn was pretty much a consensus number one team. So now, who is the number one team? There's a few teams that I like. But it seems like there's not really any dominant team in the country. Some teams that I put down here are Alabama, Kansas, Houston, and UCLA. Dan, who's your number one team in the country? Well, it's a loaded question because it, it kind of feels like a I don't, you can't say a four a four way top tie at the top is just so bloated, right? Like I I try to whittle it down to three. I think I have it down to three when I really toss around the names Houston, uh, Alabama, and Kansas. I think you know you can kind of look at the trio and find different reasons to like them. I, I really like Alabama, the way it leads the country and rebounding per game. I'm a big fan of rebounding as a team and Alabama does that so well, but Houston leads the nation in scoring margin. Uh, and that, I, that just tells you a lot about, you know, the way the Cougars are at both ends of the floor. I really like Calvin Sampson. Uh, so a lot of boxes are checked there. Uh, you take a look at what does BPI say? Houston's out in front of BPI as well as an RPI. Uh, but, when you take a look at strength of record, uh, Alabama is second in the country in terms of strength of record. So that when you take into account the wins and also the strength of their wins with the strength of schedule all mixed in, that that's another feather in Alabama's cast. So I kind of start to, and then you have Kansas. Kansas is right right there in strength of record as well. So it's in the Big Twelve is probably my favorite league in terms of strength and competitiveness uh, throughout the top half, top two thirds. Right, so. Uh, I, I really struggle with this one uh, for all those various reasons, but I'm going to uh, stick with uh, Houston for right now. Houston is 17 and one. I know there was a little bit of a, a scare against South Florida, but we were talking off the podcast airwaves about how so, how so many ranked teams lost this weekend, right? And so if we're going to talk about how there was this wave of ranked teams losing, Houston managed to not lose. So I'm going. I'm not going to uh, hold a win against them or a closer win against them whatsoever, since it was a win. We've kind of been, it's been a theme in this podcast. Win is a win. So I'm going to stick with Houston, but it's very tight. Like I really am looking forward to uh, those sweet 16s, those elites in in a, in a couple of months because I, th- these metrics at the very top are are competitive. Uh, Houston as a team, I, I like I said, I like the coaching. I, I like that we're going to get to see them against the Big 12 competition the rest of the way. Or excuse me, not Big 12. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm looking forward to seeing them in the Big 12. Uh, because basketball in particular there is a program that I don't see slowing down. Yeah, for sure. Right now, I think I'd have to go with Alabama as my number one team, considering how good they've been playing lately and their overall resume. Like, just in the past week or so, they beat Kentucky by 26. They beat Arkansas at Arkansas, which is a very tough place to play, by 15. And then another day, they beat LSU by 40. They just completely dismantled LSU who LSU is not as good as I thought they'd be this year, but still, to win a game by 40, and they basically did all that in the first half, that's just an outstanding win. And the thing that really gives me Alabama first place is their win at Houston earlier in the year. And I try not to put too much emphasis on one game. I don't think one game determines who's actually the better team. I think we've shown that that's clearly not true. But... When it's a situation like this, I think a road win versus one of the other teams you could put first place, that really stands out to me. And there is four teams here in this conversation, and I think you can have a case for all of them. But if there's one team that's maybe a little have a case less on, it would be UCLA from a national perspective. I feel like a lot of people aren't as high on them as they're on Alabama, Kansas, and Houston. But personally... I really like UCLA. I think they, I don't want to say they're my favorite to win a tournament, but I think they're a team that definitely could win it. They have a great point guard in Tiger Campbell. Jaime Hawkins Jr., he was on my first team All-American last week. 
They have some good freshmen in Amari Bailey, who's currently hurt right now, but I believe he should be back soon-ish. And Adem Bona, who has been great recently at his center position, still a pretty uh, raw player, but I think he is definitely showing some signs of improvement. And you have Jalen Clark, who, as I mentioned last week, was also in my All-American contention. And then you have David Singleton off the bench, who doesn't miss a three. So they're just put together really well. I think they could be the number one team in the country. I know they're not going to be in the rankings or anything because they, they're they seventh in the rankings right now, I want to say. But I think, I mean, they're third in Ken Palm. I'm not sure if there's a team that I like more. I'm going to go with Alabama as my number one team right now, but I think UCLA is very capable of beating anyone in the country. And the team we haven't even talked about yet is Kansas, who I just was looking through some stats today, and Kansas has 11 Q1 plus Q2 wins. They're 6-1 and one in Q1 and 5-0 and oh in Q2. And the second team, there's a few teams with eight. So it just really stand out to me. I don't think Kansas is great because I think we've seen that they've had a few close scares at home recently. But in the bottom line, they've been getting good wins and they've been getting a lot of them, and they've been winning. So it's it's hard to bet against them when they just have so good of a record. They're so good versus the good teams. And what what are your thoughts on Kansas? Because they clearly have the best resume in the country, but I'm not sure if I'm 100% in on them as just a dominant team. My thoughts on the Jayhawks are I can't wait for Kansas versus Kansas State because that is so compelling to me for so many different reasons. Kansas State coming off the loss to TCU, which I know we're going to get into. Uh, that, that And you add that, of course, the in-state rivalry uh, to boot. That is going to be such a great chance for Kansas to add to uh, the strength of the wins they already have that you that you've touched on. Uh, so, yeah, Kansas, UCLA, they're so – apologize for that. Zoom was starting to – Zoom was starting to mess with us there. Uh, get Kansas and UCLA. They are the, such blue bloods that I think we want to we want to be more drawn to Alabama and Houston both. Like I think there's the chance to just get Kansas and UCLA fatigue. But you laid out the case for each. Uh, Kansas in particular. I think Kansas was the one I struggled with like in the most with the Houston Bama and then Kansas conversation. Uh, maybe that's like East versus Pacific time zone uh, bias. There is certainly I'm prone to possibly. I'm not going to claim that I'm not. But uh, yeah, Kansas versus Kansas State, that's what I'm looking for forward to the most when you get to see Kansas get another chance. Like again, the most teams big 12 schedules, it's just I'm like, who's next? Who's the next ranked opponent to get that measuring stick and get the latest uh data on these teams? But uh speaking of future Big 12, turning it back to Houston really quick. I, I am aware of the Houston versus Alabama head to head. Bama really impressed in that game in the sense that you look at what they did to Marcus Sasser. Sasser was two of eleven from the field for nine points. I mean, that is a great way to limit Houston, right, to to get Houston under 70 points in a final score. That's really strong. So, uh, yeah, one game, one sample size. I liked how Houston's first half was in that game, right? Like, I I think Houston had one of the lesser halves it's going to have all season against Alabama, but that's to Alabama's credit, right? Like, that's part of the reason you would put Bama at number one. So, it's very close. I like your argument for Bama. I stuck with Houston maybe on a bit of a looking, looking ahead and if, if these teams met again at Alabama and Houston, I wouldn't have any hesitation leaning toward Houston. But it, it, now, partially maybe because it's hard to beat a team twice, right? And I would just lean toward Houston being able to make the adjustments and not have uh, a 20 minutes of basketball that it had in the second half in their regular season meeting this year. But now the, these teams at the very top, a top four, a top five range, we may not have a runaway, right? We're not runaway number one, as you and I were talking before the show. But that's a good thing. Like, I, I'm so fired up to for these teams to be there in March. Yeah, um, and I did have Alabama number one. That was before the Darius Miles stuff. I guess we'll just see if that impacts anything. Yeah, but going back to Houston, it's hard to not like Houston too because they're number one in about every metric. They're number one in like Ken Palm, Net, Torvik, all that stuff, and I like them too. So it's just hard for me to bet against them as well. And they're first in A people. Who knows if that'll change tomorrow when you probably all are listening to this. But... Like, it's, again, still hard to bet against them. They have, like, Marcus Sasser, who's one of the best guards in the country. They have a five-star in Jairus Walker. And they're just they're just so tough as well. Like, they're going to out-physical you. 
that's just what Kelvin Sampson has been doing at Houston. So I agree that if Houston played Alabama again, I'd probably pick Houston, but you never know. That's just arguably the two best teams in the country. That would hopefully we get to see that game in March again because that would be an amazing game. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Bama, Bama's looking like a basketball school this academic year, dare I say, right? Now, I know they took the Sugar Bowl in the end for my one football reference per episode. I know they took the Sugar Bowl, but now Bama, Bama got to be putting their pride in men's basketball lately. So it's impressive to see. Yeah, for sure. And a league that has not been good at all this year is the ACC. And the team is atop the ACC at 7-0 are the Clemson Tigers, which is really shocking to me. They're still not a basketball school. Their, their their resume isn't super impressive, but like seven no in ACC, like is Clemson good or is this just a fluke? Right now, Clemson good. Like I just gotta say it with my chest, Clemson is good. Look at the number of scorers who are averaging at least double figures. I mean, Brevin Galloway at the at just ten and a half per game. That's a name I know pretty well. It, it, it's cool to see him uh, playing well in the ACC. But then you go to PJ Hall, Chase Hunter. Is yeah, Chase Hunter and Hunter Tyson, like the pair of hunters, averaging over 14 or at least 14 points per game. That that's all telling me that's a team that can go deep in its scoring in the starting five. And the ACC one seed line right now belongs to the Tigers. I I look forward to seeing Clemson go through the rest of the schedule, as I've been saying here throughout our January episodes, because I love getting more and more games against quality opponents. But looking at Clemson's wins to date, I know the losses have been certainly sour points like the losses aren't, aren't don't look good but there there aren't many of them right so like weigh that against these wins they took care of Louisville by double digits which I'm bringing up Louisville because you should be beating Louisville by double digits so that 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 checks the box for me I was looking at that and they beat the cards by 13 it could have been more I I, I suppose I guess if we're going to be judging Clemson as a true national threat but still I'll take I'll take double digits in a, in a conference win of course most recently uh yesterday beating Duke that's a high quality win. I got to see Duke this season, and I I know Duke is just going to get better and better throughout the rest of the year. So that that's a good win in my book. Uh, getting close wins consecutively uh, at Virginia Tech and at Pittsburgh really probably stands out to me the most. Like I, honestly, it's right up there with Duke for me because to have that happen in succession on the road, grinding out really close final scores, that's so huge. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you need to do in the ACC tournament, right? Like when you get to the ACC tournament, even if you get a quality seed and you're getting a day off or two early on you're still going to find yourself like when push comes to shove, if Clemson's going to be there at the end, it's going to mean they played higher end ECC teams in consecutive games and consecutive days. So that, that stretch right there, that little microcosm of, of a March type type situation in Virginia tech and Pitt, that, that Clemson proved a lot to me there. Yeah. I still don't think Clemson's like super good nationally, but at the same time, like they've been taking care of business in the ACC. It's a weak conference this year. But they're 7-0, and they've been able to win conference games every time they played it in this year. So that has to stand for something, even if it's not as impressive as it would be most years with better teams. But the thing that really confuses me about Clemson is they have two like bad wins on their resume. They lost to South Carolina. That's a little bit of a rivalry game on the road by two. I, I guess I can let that one slide. South Carolina, they're not a good team, but... Rivalry games, crazy stuff happens. But the one that really stands out to me is I lost to Loyola Chicago neutral by 18. Loyola Chicago is terrible this year. And that's a whole separate issue. Why they're so bad. But it's just crazy that Clemson has been so good. And that was like kind of in the middle where they were starting to get good. They beat Penn State, Wake Forest, Towson. Then they got killed by Loyola. So... That's the reason why I'm not buying them as like a top tier team nationally or even a top 25 team. I don't think they're there, but I do think they are very good. It seems like every time Brad Brownell is on the hot seat, Clemson manages to just enough to keep him. It seems like it's kind of been a cycle for the last five or so years. They're good enough to not fire him, but they're not good enough to be super nationally relevant. But Looking at who they have in their roster, Hunter Tyson has really impressed me this season. He's been an all-ACC player out of nowhere. P.J. Hall has been uh, was dealing with some injuries early in the year, and he was their best player last year. So Tyson has really stepped into that role. Brevin Galloway has been a solid addition in, in-conference transfer over from Boston College. 
So Clemson has been very good. And although, do you think they will end up in first in ACC when it's all said and done? It's a good question. Uh, before I answer, I'll, I'll address a couple of things. I'll, I'll get to the question of the ACC standings. But uh, talking about the loss to Loyola Chicago, I, if you want me to be an excuse factory, and this or like this is just one way you can look at it, right? Like a couple ways to slice it. I guess you could slightly attribute. Now, I mean, it was a double digit loss to a really the uh, Loyola Chicago team is not anywhere near the peak Rambler stage, right? Like this is not Sister Jean's proudest moment <laughs> for Loyola Chicago, right? But I think one way you could chalk it up is, as you said, they were ascending. They were just getting a ton of momentum. They had just finished blowing out a, oh yeah, a, a reasonably good uh, CAA team in Towson. And I could see, you know, it's, it's December 10th, the end of the semester is coming up, start to lose focus. And you just, you, they turned in a dud, right? They laid an egg that day. But one egg out of, what, 18 games when you haven't lost a single ACC game? I mean, I, I'm writing it off a little bit. Like now it could, we could see that Clemson team come back and I'll say, ah, turns out that was not only, that was not just one aberration, right, in Loyal Chicago. But I, I'm going to call it an aberration for now. Now, as for how they end up in the ACC standings, what, what will they look like when they're going into the ACC tournament? Well, I, I look at who who they need to fend off, right? Like actually, Miami is currently right behind them. The U trailing them in ACC standings. Uh, Virginia and Tony Bennett, I'd be pretty worried about. I think there's a decent chance Virginia figures it out and finds its way toward the uh, very top of the ACC. I mean, the the Hoos are eating one at home, which is a mark I, I really like. They, they they're really hard to beat at home, so my, chances are they win a more ACC games than they lose down the stretch. Uh, not just that reason, but. Certainly, that's one factor I like. Uh, so, yeah, UVA is in the picture, uh, but having already beaten Pitt is a good sign. And I, I know Virginia Tech's record is not is not very good in the ACC, but I still thought that was a good win for it to come with, like I said, in sequence with Pitt. So, uh, I'm not willing to commit to Clemson. This is a rambling answer for me to say uh, I would not commit to Clemson for being the one seed in the ACC because. Uh, pro- probably Miami and Virginia are actually better, and we just haven't seen, we haven't gotten to see the yet, but. Uh, certainly top three and four is right within reach. Yeah. I still think Virginia is going to pull it out when it's all said and done. And just to look ahead in the schedule, February 28th, Clemson plays at Virginia. And if this stuff continues to happen, that could, that game could decide the ACC regular season championship. So if Clemson continues on this hot streak, then that is definitely a game to keep an eye on. So moving on, K-State, finally did not look like a top 10 team when they played at TCU. TCU, they got a huge one too. They were up 18 at Texas earlier in the week, ended up losing that game. And TCU really needed that game after the Texas game. And I think they got it. And to me, this win says more about TCU than it does K-State. Because I think we've already seen that K-State is a very good team. And... This win doesn't tell me anything less about them. What do you think, Dan? Well, it tells me a little less in the sense that the stage, when it finally got to be peak brightest, right? Like this was another chance to just keep the train moving. It just fell short. Uh, I But now I'm going to actually definitely take the opportunity to praise TCU even more. I mean, I had the first teamer, Mike Miles, right? On all America last week. So I have to, I have to get another chance to, uh, to hype up TCU, of course, right. And, and keeping with that theme, but no, I mean, it's well-deserved by, by TCU for them to, to uh, defend their position in the big 12, the way they did uh, just really a convincing win against a team that I really don't think, I really think most teams in the conference would not want to face with all the momentum Kansas state was enjoying uh, the bounce back to come home from the loss in Austin. It was a really, that's a draining game to play a rival in state and just have it fall on the wrong side uh, for TCU. I was very interested in seeing how they turn around. Like, how would the energy be? Uh, would they pick it up? And I think they just absolutely maximized the opportunity against Kansas State. I mean, this game was over at halftime. I did not see that coming. I thought it was going to be much more competitive for uh, for a longer span. But you take a look at the box and you see how did they get there. TCU, I mean, both teams shot pretty well, but TCU just over 46%. Uh, they they didn't shoot well from three at all, but they didn't, they really didn't have to. Uh, they 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 stacked with K State in the boards. It was a tie in rebounding, uh, but they they won in the turnover margin big. I mean to take 
to take the ball away from K-State 20 times, that's not something that Kansas State has had as its MO at any time this year, right? Like, this is not a sloppy Kansas State team. This is a really well-coached Kansas State team. I, I enjoy getting to see uh, Jerome Tang speaking with our, our friend Alex Schmidt, you know, over on Alex Interviews. <laughs> and that was very cool. But I was teasing Alex. I said, I said, hey, is there an Alex Interviews curse now? Because <laughs> there was that tough outcome for at TCU the, the, the days after. But, uh, no, that's just to mention Coach Tang and the fact that to, to take the ball away 20 times from a Jerome Tang coach team – is, is a great sign of uh, 15 steals in, in that total. So this TCU, I mean, it was defense, it was offense, it was a complete team win. And that's why, yeah, I'm with you where it's just way more about the Horned Frogs uh, because Kansas State should be a semifinalist in the Big 12 at a minimum. Yeah, and I think K-State, like what we've seen over the past few weeks, I think that was their ceiling. Like, I'm not going to say that they can't still play like that, but realistically Marquise Noel is probably not going to drop like 35 and 15 every game or whatever he had been scoring and assisting in the past few weeks. I still think the Wildcats are a very good team, but I think we saw that they're not just this unstoppable force and that they can be beaten. TCU kind of just controlled that whole game. They dominated. They were able to stop Noel from having an amazing game which was pretty key. So, yeah, that was K-State's first conference loss, their second loss of the season. And, yeah, like you said earlier, they play Kansas soon, which is a game I'm really looking forward to see. That is a great game that is at Kansas State. That is in two days on Tuesday. I'm just really looking forward to see that. Kansas, they might be number one by then. They go into the Octagon of Doom. I just, I'm really looking forward to this game. Dan, what storylines are you looking for in that game? Well, it's so funny because now I think the kind of the, it's not perfect comparison, but now I think Kansas State needs to take on that mentality TCU took on after its loss to Texas, right? Like, this is an emotional game for Kansas State. They really get all the wind out of their sails, all the momentum all the high that was that was being ridden by the Wildcats, it all it all comes falling apart so quickly, right? Like that had to be a humbling halftime locker room to know that you were just on your way in 20 minutes to your first defeat in recent memory. I mean, quite literally recent memory. So uh, I think that for Kansas State now, all of a sudden, can they channel that same energy that helped TCU, right? Like this is a whole new, they have a chance to completely wipe the slate clean because if Kansas State finds a way to beat rival Kansas, right? Like when Kansas could be the number one, if not number two, you know, it should be a top three ranked team. That would be monumental. That that just erases everything. It, it'll be a really short memory for, for fans and for voters if Kansas State can pull that off. But I, I guess that's like the lofty or aspirational message, right? Or like the, the storyline to be tracking. On Kansas's end, it's a chance to, help separate itself in like we were talking about at length before the Houston, the Alabama mix, Houston and Alabama have a head to head result, right. That we can help interpret Kansas has a, has a very impressive resume, but it, it wants, it needs to keep adding to that because right now it's just hard to crack that Houston a number one spot. So really both ways, there's so much to get excited about in this game. I I've really thrilled for it because this is this again, the Big 12 has really had it. Like I, in my time watching college hoops, this is part of the Big 12's rise. It's not just Kansas because Kansas State this season, uh, TCU is strong this season. Uh, Texas, for all of its issues with firing Chris Beard, which we, if you didn't catch episode one, you should hear our discussion of where Texas goes from here. Um, the, Texas is still right there. Uh, Texas Tech is it played Texas uh, in a pretty good one. So I, I love the conference, and so I love this conference's games as well. Yeah, as you say, Texas Tech, I wouldn't touch on that a little bit. They still have zero wins in the Big 12. They really have no good wins overall. But Fardaz Amak, I know you've talked with him before. He was back for his first game of the season coming off injury. He looked pretty decent. He definitely looked better than Bacho in the game that I watched. How do you think him coming back impacts the outlook of this team? Because as of now, Texas Tech is nowhere even close to the tournament. Part of that is because they play in the Big 12 and you can't have an off night or you're going to lose. So how do you think Fardaz being back really impacts how the season will end up for the Red Raiders? Well, he has a lot riding on him because it, it there the, the pressure's on, the urgency is on. Uh, they're behind the eight ball in the Big 12, certainly, for the reasons you just described. And AMAC's going to have a lot asked of him in both ends of the floor, both categories. Uh, Texas Tech, I, I'm I'm hopeful in the sense of what they showed versus Texas. Uh, that that's a top ten Texas team still, and Texas Tech had a pretty healthy lead on them at the half, and just 
couldn't hold it together on defense in the second half. So obviously you have to play a complete game, but in order to get a win in the big 12 or let alone against the top half big 12 team. But uh, so I don't, I just don't love the sample size right now because I'm having a hard time even judging Texas tech and its offense in particular without uh, Fardos, because I, I, I think he actually makes that big a difference. I've really been hoping to see him uh, as much as we can in, in a power five league. So this will, this will be good to get more, uh, more tape in that category. But uh, yeah, Texas tech, I, I'm going to uh, reserve a lot of judgment, which is a really boring podcast take. I, I guess I'd have to say that they haven't really, I mean, it would have been really helpful, I think, for Texas Tech to get to finish the job against Texas. That would have forced us to really acknowledge them and look at them a little more. But right now, I want to call them an afterthought, but they just kind of get lost in the shuffle when you were so focused on Kansas and Kansas State and Texas itself, right? And, and so uh, Texas Tech, uh, I, I think that if they continue to have uh, the right recruiting patterns. They're going to be just fine in the big picture. But for this season, I don't I, I don't know what to make of it just yet, because uh, let's say, I mean, you honestly, you can't assume that you're going to have a Mac available for the rest of the season. Just point blank, like you could see more time missed, you know, just hypothetically, I'm not rooting for that. But uh, I, Texas Tech, I don't know how many diff- different ways it can win. Right. But I know I can challenge Kansas to win a bunch of different ways and TCU to win a bunch of different ways. So I just don't know how versatile tech is. Yeah, and it's probably worth noting that Amac, his first like practice, I think was on Thursday, and he was definitely not at full shape, which is something that will definitely improve over the season. Another thing I liked about um the Red Raiders is that freshman Pop Isaacs, he played really good against Texas. I think if he sticks around, he could be a very good player for that program. And just speaking about Texas, let's get into them a little bit. They came back from two double digit wins. They rallied. They were able to finish the week off 2-0. and And the thing about Texas is, like, once they fired Chris Beer and once, like, that situation was out, like, a complete collapse by them was not out of the question. And by winning those two games versus good teams, because everyone in the Big 12 is so good, and having two huge double-digit comeback wins, that really says a lot to me about how this team is composed. And even though they were down... They didn't let him get to them, and they were able to win those games. Now you're on the money with that. You're on the money with that. It's it's going to be Texas. Yeah, I, I honestly, I completely forgot the fact that they literally are working with the interim coach right now. Like it, You wouldn't have known it, right, from holding out and finding a way to get it done. So I'm a big fan of what Texas did for exactly what, what you just said. Yeah. Moving on to the Big Ten, but first, I forgot to mention this earlier, but the number two player in the 2024 class, Ian Jackson, is set to announce Monday, which is tomorrow. If you're listening, he might have already been committed. The rumors are saying Kentucky. Some are saying UNC. I don't know where he will go, but whoever lands him is getting a very good player. Just wanted to throw it in there. It was supposed to mention that in the recruiting segment of our podcast, but not an experienced podcaster that will come with time. So just wanted to throw it in. Anyway, let's talk about the Big Ten because I don't even know what to make of this conference. It seems like everyone's just there. Like Purdue has been the clear best team in the conference. Five and one. They are top of standings atop all the uh, metric standings as well. They're number one offense in the country. They're fifth in Ken Palm. But like after that, I'm I don't know where to put anyone because like everyone besides Minnesota has at least two wins and everyone besides Purdue has at least two losses. So what do you make of the Big Ten right now? The Big Ten is a big mess. And it I I keep praising the Big Twelve, but I should pre I should praise uh <laughs> I should praise the Big Ten too, because I like a conference that has so much parody and that doesn't have a clear uh, runaway, and we talked about the, the lack of a clear runaway in the, in the national picture too, in the AP top twenty five. But uh, Purdue with ED, our only consensus first teamer in all American teams. Uh, Purdue has to get the you know the pretty healthy edge. But then in that like kind of next like non Purdue tier, uh, Rutgers is just. I, I almost think when you get a big recruiting pickup too, like it could just buoy the whole spirit of the program. Like I know that the energy around Rutgers is really good right now, so I really like a uh, Rutgers just as a name. Uh, it's like people look at Rutgers and they say, 
I, if you've been watching college basketball for a long time, you might just have this stigma around Rutgers, you know, like, ah, uh, they're not really make cut out for the Big Ten, but I, that's kind of in the past by now, I think. Like, it's a rearview mirror kind of idea. Uh, Michigan State and Michigan and Iowa uh, probably uh, put Michigan State uh, ahead of Michigan. I really liked uh, Tyson Walker. Of course, I'm going to shout out Tyson Walker. He's a guy I watched a lot of in his prior college stop, and I think actually he's probably somebody should get more and more uh, discussion about now. He'll he'll get his chances with Michigan State, the Big Ten tournament, to uh, to make that happen because I want to see Michigan State and Rutgers and Purdue kind of all play each other more. But uh, Purdue is my is my favorite. Uh, Purdue has the one game wrecking, game changing figure and name and player in the ED. So uh, that's really the biggest tiebreaker for me. Um, Purdue with just one conference loss uh, coming at the hands of Rutgers in West Lafayette. So obviously there's one head-to-head result where you say, hey, decide by one point, but you got to give Rutgers a lot of love for that. Rutgers, the one team to demonstrate that can knock out Purdue. So uh, the rematch is another thing I'm looking forward to because it's kind of similarly to the, to the Houston-Bama thing. You'd have to lean for toward Purdue again. But with that, though, like at some point, I'm, I know I'm feeling this urge to say like, hey, like actually let's just recognize Rutgers as being the one team that's actually done it, right? Like why would I penalize Rutgers for having a win already? Like shouldn't that make them uh, my Big Ten front runner? But I just think that on balance, it goes to Purdue. Yeah, I agree. Um, How many teams do you see making a tournament? Because I feel like this is where it gets really interesting because there's just so many teams in the middle. You have to figure at some point, something's going to give. So when it's all said and done, how many teams do you have making a tournament? I I uh, I mean obviously Purdue I think regulars will make will make it Michigan State I'm not sure about Michigan yet I'm gonna leave them out for now I think I will make it I think Illinois will I think Penn State will I'm not sure about Northwestern if Wisconsin gets Tyler Wall back I think they will I think Ohio State will Indiana probably and even like Maryland isn't that far out I think I'm gonna go with those nine. But like it's, I could see one of those teams just randomly dropping like five straight because everyone is so even and like working their way out of the tournament. It's, I I just don't know where to rank all these teams. <laughs> it's been so crazy. Everyone besides Minnesota is somewhat competitive, even though Nebraska is uh, clearly the second worst team. Like they're not terrible. Like you could easily lose a road game there. Purdue, they went to overtime. Versus Purdue at Nebraska, so that that, that tells you so much. Yeah, it tells you so much. The fact that Nebraska is just avoiding the basement in the league, and they threaten Purdue that severely or that much, right? Like I uh, that that tells you so much. I with it, everybody beating each other up. Like to your your prediction, I think is really pretty close. I I'd be a little surprised if double digit Big Ten teams found a way to make it. So, not that there aren't double digit numbers of Big Ten like tournament worthy teams. But just because I don't know how the math shakes out where everybody gets to see at the table, right? Like I nine feels right. Like hovering around nine, uh, that that kind of kind of feels like that just feels like the right number to me. Yeah, I agree. Um Michigan Michigan could make it, honestly. They beat Northwestern today at home, which is a huge win. Northwestern Northwestern could also make it. Like I had them out too, but they're right there. Like, as I said, anyone besides Minnesota and Nebraska has a chance because there's so much stuff that could happen. It's it's a crazy conference. Um, let's see. What are some good upcoming games? It looks like... Let's see. It looks like Purdue plays at Michigan State tomorrow, MLK Day at 2.30 at least my time or Eastern time. I don't know, but I think that'll be a very good game because Michigan state, they have Malik Hall back now. I think that's, that's really important to them. And I think they're top 20, 25 team with him. That's a game. I'm really interested to see. Obviously Purdue has won all of their away games in conference, but yeah, I think those are one and two in the Big Ten. Uh, one and three. I'm going to put Rutgers ahead. But, I was going to say, Rutgers. It's it's so easy to overlook Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not sure if I – I don't know if I really think Rutgers is like super talented or like I don't know if they're really that legit. But at the same time, they're top 15 in Ken Palm. They're – what are they, four and two in the conference? Yeah, they are. Five I think and two, five and two. Yeah, they're they're five and two. 
Yep. Cam Spencer has really been great. Trenter from Loyola, Maryland. He is the brother of a former Northwestern player, Pat Spencer, but he's just, he's been their best player this year. And that's one of the reasons they're so good. I did not see that coming. I thought the Big Ten might be a level too high of competition for him, but he's been great in offense. And even though Rutgers doesn't have like the Ron Harper in the past, like star player like that. I think they've just been working really well together. Obviously, Cliff O'Murray, he's been dominant inside. You have McConnell's an amazing defender. And well, part of the reason why Rutgers is number three defense in the country, per Ken Palm, number two, actually, right now. Mulcahy, like Rutgers, I'm still not sure if I buy their talent, but like they've been producing, they've been winning, and it's hard to go against them. What are your uh, last thoughts on the Big Ten? This Purdue-Michigan State game comes at a great time. A prime holiday slot on Fox. It's it's going to be a great one. ESPN analytics favor Purdue in about two-thirds win probability, but uh, with it being at Michigan State in the zone, I think it's way more. I think in, in practice, like in actuality, this skews way closer to a 50-50 game because it's not like Purdue hasn't, Purdue has dropped the game. They have lost a Big Ten game, so there's 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 tape on how to get it done. Uh, Michigan State is being neck and neck with Rutgers. I think it's a very similar you know test for Purdue. So uh, this will communicate a lot to us about the Big Ten. But um, no, the Big Ten should eat up a ton of at large bids. Uh, the Big Ten, Big Twelve. Like I think is am I am I misremembering? Is there a Big Ten, Big Twelve challenge that's ever been in the works or that it was because I know there was a challenge that there's one challenge is ending and then there's one non-conference series that's starting but I'm going to get it backwards about which I'm not sure but I know the Big 12 and SEC challenge is coming up sometime soon I know the Big 12 SEC that's a one that's in like the middle of January right Right. There might be, there might have, I don't know. There's so many conference challenges. <laughs> They're just so early in the season. You look back at them and you kind of forget they even happened. Right. <laughs> but so. Yeah, I, I think now I'm seeing, okay. So at late, uh, earlier this season, it was the announcement by ESPN of the new ACC SEC challenge. And then with that, you would have the end of SEC Big 12. So I was thinking, for some reason, I threw the Big 10 in there, but it was because the Big 10 ACC challenge is, is uh, ending actually with that, with all those changes. So anyway, I think actually when I think about the Big 10 in some total, it's that maybe we don't get that Big 10, Big 12 challenge that we're talking about, like regular season series, but maybe March Madness becomes that, right? Like, my gosh, like when we get down to it, all these Big 12 and Big 10 teams that kind of make out the top half of each of these leagues that are so uh, strong in their depth. Uh, we're going to see which league uh, really does go deeper. But um, no, taking a bigger look at the Big Ten, it's a headache. I'm glad we're wrapping up the show with that because it's gonna, it makes it gives you a headache when you think about how do you decipher Rutgers and Michigan State and all those guys. Yeah, so uh, with that being said, is there any other topics you'd want to talk about in the podcast? Any last well, thoughts? I, 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 since you opened the floor to me, you made the mistake of opening the floor to me. I'll make a CEA note. The College of Charleston remains ranked. In the top 25, don't know how much longer that'll last because I'm with you. I think inevitably Charleston drops. I'm going to make this prediction on record. Inevitably, Charleston drops a CAA game. I cannot see the Cougars running the table in the conference. We just saw UNCW lose to William and Mary at home in a game that was one of the most ugly games you'll see. The the number of fouls called in total. I mean, if anybody missed it or didn't catch it on CBS Sports Network, honestly, you didn't miss too much because of the grand grand total number of fouls. But I say that to say... This that's the kind of nature of the conference there. I I it's hard to see Charleston just to allude back to our mid-major discussion. Charleston, by the time we I'd have to look at the future schedule. I'm I'm gonna say they're still ranked by the time we talk next for the podcast, but my gosh, yeah, I don't this have a lot of faith in them staying ranked. This week they have um William and Mary at home, Monmouth on the road, and Northeastern on the road. Okay, those, be games... a, those will be three W's because nobody William and Mary is not seeing up on anybody anymore. But it was a really good win for William and Mary to, to take down UNCW. The final score, I want to make sure I get it right in my notes here. Final score is 69-67. Nice win uh for the tribe. That's one of the tougher places to win in that conference. So I just wanted to make a quick note of that. Yeah. So where do you think they're gonna drop that game then? Well, so you'd have to look at obviously a future game against UNCW. For the College of Charleston, they already be- managed to beat UNCW narrowly uh, not too long ago. That final score was, and again, I want to make sure I get my notes right. 71 We're in a scramble right now. 71-69. So again, a one-possession game for College of Charleston beating UNCW on the road. Uh, but 
Charleston's future schedule. I'll pull it up beyond simply these next few weeks. I think the biggest hotspot, really Hofstra. I look at Hofstra very closely. The Cougars host Hofstra late this month. That's a game. Hofstra has a very similar makeup to UNCW. Such talented guard play. Uh, and Hofstra actually can really punish you, in, you inside, too. It's just they're known for really strong guard play going all the way back to Justin Wright Foreman, who made his way to the NBA. So I honestly think it's going to be a Hofstra. Uh, Charleston, I don't think it's going to fall to a bottom half CDA team, but I think Hofstra, UNCW, Towson, if it ever gets his act together, right? Like all these kind of schools are ones that you could see just nip them. And, and the CEA has a tendency where that it'll eat, it'll eat up its own and kind of ruin the at-large chances there for CFC. Yeah, obviously, I think the Hofstra game is one to watch. At Drexel, that might be one to watch, too. Drexel has been very good def- defensively this year. They play slow, and they just beat you up that way. They've had some big wins over con- in conference play. They only allowed Monmouth, who's terrible, but they only allowed them to score 35 points. They just beat Northeastern by 21, and... I don't know if I've been picking Charleston to lose there, but that's definitely an under-the-radar game today. Could fall to. I'm not sure if there's a game on the schedule that I see Charleston losing specifically, but I feel like at some point they'll slip up. So, any last notes on Charleston? Yeah, your points about Drexel are, are strong. Drexel, I mean, it's another one of those CEA game outcomes where Drexel had Stony Brook. It looked like they really had the seed walls. In, in another game, that was on CBS Sports Network, and they managed to lose at Stony Brook on a buzzer beating shot 67 to 66 was the loss for Drexel at Stony Brook but then the Dragons followed that up by beating a traditionally very respectable very decent northeastern team by double digits on the road so uh Drexel is another one of schools like I really think in the top four top five of the CA like Delaware last season was a five seed that won the conference uh, like Drexel doesn't have necessarily the star power certainly that Hofstra and Charleston UNCW post but playing defense is what won UD that championship last March. So defense is a great place to start. And you're right about Drexel with its defense. So that's that's how, that's how you have to beat Charleston. Because I think on episode one, we talked about how many scores Charleston has. Pat Kelsey has built a team that is such a good rotation that you're going to have to play 40 minutes of defense or, or they're, 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 they're going to race by you. All right. Well, is that a podcast? Sounds like a pod. I, we, we don't want to get, we don't want to draw a penalty for uh I don't want to say delay of game. What's the right analogy for this? We 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 uh we went into overtime last podcast. So I think we did a pretty good job. I think we worked it out pretty well there that time on this one. Yeah, just a little bit over an hour. I feel like uh listeners who have a shorter attention span will be able to listen to more of this. Um but yeah, with that being said, go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on there. And if you're not listening on there, go over there and give us a five-star because those really help us out. And I guess follow our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, that's Hoopscoop Media, one word, no spaces or anything. And no, I guess we will see you next Sunday.